This is our last um, uh, Sunday in uh, the book of James uh, in, uh, in this series. And uh, uh, why don't we uh, begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, as with every day, that this is the day that you have made. And we rejoice and we are glad in it. We thank you, Father, that it is a special day, uh, the best uh, of the seven, because it is a preview of uh, heavenly joy and heavenly glory, where we will be forever physically uh, with you, uh, forever united with you and your people. And uh, we, we have a small uh, microcosm of that today in your church, as your church gathers uh, around the world, Lord, to uh, worship you. And so we thank you uh, for that privilege, and we thank you for this time, Lord, in your word, uh, where, Lord Jesus, your brother uh, was inspired to write these very uh, practical exhortations and commands to us that, that we may grow in grace and knowing you better. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for this time that we have. Uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, for anyone uh, uh, who uh, um, is uh, suffering or um, lonely uh, with, with any kind of adversity. Father, uh, Father, we think of Don Williams. Uh, we think of Warren. Uh, we think of uh, Jan um, as uh, uh, she will be having surgery on Thursday. Uh, and so many other people, Father, in our lives and uh, uh, each of us personally. Uh, Father, you know our struggles, you know our um, uh, needs, and you know our joys. And uh, Lord Jesus, we just bring them all to you, asking, Lord, that you would now instruct us in your word uh, in this fifth chapter of the book of James, where we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Um, I'd like someone to uh, read as we uh, approach uh, chapter 5 here. I would like someone to read the first six verses of James chapter 5. Can someone do that for us, please? James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Anyone? I'll read it, Don. All right, Jerry, thank you. Come now, you rich... Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, <clears throat> and their corrosion will be witnessed against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages and let the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your heart as in a day of slaughter. Is that all, first five? Six. Six, oh, excuse me. 
you have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Okay, thank you, Jerry. You're welcome. All right. Now, again, as in chapter 4, the summons uh, from James is, Come now. Listen. Pay attention. It, it, it's uh, similar to what uh, Christ says when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you. Anything that uh, Jesus has to say is important. But when he says, Truly, truly, you better pay attention. And that's what James is saying. Pay attention to this. The rich are addressed here. And from the context, it's obviously, James is obviously here not uh, talking to the members of his congregation or other churches, but to unbelievers, uh, those with a false profession of faith. Now, um, let me just say a couple things here. Uh, in our day and age, of course, we have this neo-Marxist kind of mentality, this woke kind of uh, teaching that all wealth is the result of oppression and anyone who is rich is evil. That is not what James is saying here. Um, you know, uh, we, we, um, wealth is a blessing and a gift from God. And while Paul in 1 Timothy 6 does say uh, that on, uh, on the one hand that we're not to put our trust in riches, which are uncertain, and he calls covetousness idolatry. On the other hand, he does say that God provides us richly with all things to enjoy. So we have to keep that balance here. When Jesus says that it is uh, easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, he is pointing out that people who are rich uh, trust in their riches for their security. And um, uh, they... they don't believe that they need God. We think of people like Bill Gates, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, George Soros, uh, um, other people like that, um, and politicians. Um, James' warning for the unbelieving rich... Sorry, Don. <laughs> okay, Denny. <laughs> Did you hear that, Denny? <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. I'll do it again. <laughs> Did you hear that, Denny? 9.26 a.m. All right, okay, all right. We're even. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, okay, so, um, you know, uh, but we have to keep that in mind that this is a balance. James' warning for the unbelieving rich is to weep and howl, like we heard a minute ago from Denny's phone. Uh, good, good, uh, good illustration there. Um, you know, for the miseries that were, are coming upon them, all right? What a, what a graphic description, all right? Um, now, of course, until the Holy Spirit, um, you know, brings them to a conviction of their sin and regenerates them, um, they don't have the capacity to heed this warning. The weeping of Christians in chapter 4, which we talked about last week, is over their sin, is redemptive, Okay? It's for the purpose of God uh, eventually lifting us up and bringing us out of that sadness into a state of joy, eternal joy. But the weeping of the rich in this chapter is future eternal weeping, future eternal punishment. You know, even howling like dogs. 
Uh, Calvin, in his commentary, is very uh, descriptive in, in uh, what uh, that is like. A groaning, abject, uh, indescribable misery, such as Jesus portrays with the rich man in uh, Luke 16. You know, and of course, the worst part, as John Gerstner says, the hellishness of hell is that it is eternal. All right? Unlike much of the pain of this life, which is often relieved. Okay? Now, in verse 2 and 3, uh, James speaks of this in the present tense, as if it had already um, occurred. It is certain. All right? It's the same with our salvation, right? Already we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, right? Jesus said that we will never perish. Well, the opposite is, is true for these people. Already they are experiencing this condemnation, although they don't know it. For the unbelieving rich, their treasures are corrupted, moth-eaten, corroded. You know, And he's not just talking about the fact that uh, things wear out, or decay, you know, um, you know, uh, it's the law of, you know, he's not just talking about the law of entropy here, uh, or that they may be stolen, but that what is going to happen to them at death, when all of this will be gone, and they will see the futility of it all. Like the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, appearing before God, and God saying to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, and now who will have all of this wealth that you stored up for yourself? You know, if uh, the rich of this world do not repent, that is exactly uh, what is going to happen to them. All right? It'll be a witness against them, and it will eat their flesh like fire. It's a graphic metaphor of eternal punishment. The very wealth that they put their trust in is going to be a witness against them on that day of judgment. And then James says, you have heaped up treasure in the last days. Now, different commentaries uh, interpret this differently. Some uh, say that this means that they're accumulating false treasure, uh, temporal treasure, worldly treasure that will not last. Um, but there are others, and I would kind of um, uh, side with these that are talking about the fact that they are heaping up Wrath on the day of wrath. Remember what Paul says in Romans 2, that you know the unrepentant are storing up wrath, heaping up wrath on the day of wrath. All right? Those kinds of treasures. And uh, wow, what a, what a horrible thing to uh, contemplate. I believe it was Jonathan Edwards who said that the sinner in hell would give everything he had and do all he could to make the number of his sins one less. Wow. Okay? So, um, you know, conversely, we are to uh, store up treasures in heaven. Jesus says that we are to accumulate them. And uh, what a blessed thing that will be. Verse 4, we have another uh, metaphor. Even the wages of their employees, you know, the laborers, you know, which they had obtained by fraud, cry out against them. You know, the Lord used this kind of language in Genesis 4 with Cain after he murdered Abel, all right? God said, Your bl his blood cries out from the ground, all right? 
James says, the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Or other translations say the Lord of hosts. Literally, the Lord of armies. The Lord warns the people of Israel in Exodus that if they oppress the poor among them, the Lord will hear and have compassion on these victims and judge the oppressors. It's a constant theme of many of the Psalms, isn't it? That, you know, the Lord will um, judge those who oppress. And of course, that's the only hope and comfort for those uh, oppressed. It's the only hope and comfort for those Christians in this day and age who are being persecuted in countries like China and in Middle Eastern countries. Um, I, can, I can just imagine what it must be like for Christians at this particular time in Palestine or Israel um, being persecuted. The Lord will make everything right at his return. He has promised to do that. And the rich oppressors may condemn and even murder the righteous and who don't resist them, but they are only fattening their hearts as in a day of slaughter. Again, this, this uh, imagery of storing up wrath and eternal misery for themselves. We need, to lay, we need to pay attention to this as well in our day and age. Um, you know, bosses, how do you treat your employees? Um, you know, lots of good stuff to think about here. Any uh, questions or comments before we go on to the next section? All right, would someone read uh, verses 7 through 12 for us of uh, James chapter 5? I will, Don. Okay, Denny, thanks. Be patient and persevering. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But of Above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. Okay, thank you, Denny. All right, so again, the word therefore, a common word in Scripture, uh, starts this uh, passage. And it, it seems kind of strange that that would be there, uh, because James uh, was just finished talking to unbelievers, and now, of course, he talks to us again here, addressing uh, the people of his congregation and all Christians uh, of all ages. So therefore, because of uh, um, the result of the punishment of the wicked, the uh, uh, result of what is going to happen to the rich who do not put their trust in Christ, therefore, what are we to do? Are we to take vengeance? Are we to uh, fret and fume and worry? Uh, that certainly would be the natural thing to do. No, 
but we are to be patient. All right? James, of course, now obviously addresses his flock and all believers with the beloved term brethren. Now, I have to admit that I am not a patient man. Uh, the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit is giving me more and more, more the fruit of the Spirit uh, of patience, but uh, I am not a patient man. And I don't think any of us are by nature. We want what we want when we want it. Uh, what's the prayer of some people? Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. <laughs> uh, you know, um, and uh, I, I mean, you know, whether it's, uh, um, oh, I don't know, just, just you know, whatever. You know, you know Lord, when, when am I going to get out of this traffic jam? Uh, or, uh, Lord, uh, you know, with a, with a much more serious burden, you know, when am I going to be uh, relieved of uh, this pain? Or we can think of all kinds of examples where we just don't want to be patient. Uh, you know, how, how patient are we with our kids? How patient are we uh, with our spouses or other people? You know, and the command is all the uh, more challenging in that James says that we are to be patient for how long? Until the coming of the Lord, which hasn't happened for 2,000 years. Okay? Can you see how hard it must be for those who are persecuted to be patient in their circumstances? You know, I can't even imagine. Um, you know, we think we're persecuted when somebody uh, picks on us because we're Christians or uh, whatever. Um, we have no idea what it must be like for people in prison day after day, month after month, year after year to endure what they're enduring. And yet we are called to be patient. You know, I'm not a gardener and I don't play one on TV, um, but some of you may be. And James compares this to the farmer waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. You know, I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm uh, uh, sure that most of you, if not all of you, did too. But what, in, what went into that food that we enjoyed so much? What went into the preparation for that dinner? Well, what went into that and every meal is the patience of farmers growing that food and it being shipped and prepared and cooked and all of that kind of thing. And then it's over in a half hour. But, uh, you know... Um, now, Dawn, <laughs> you longer than that. That's right, Denny, that's right. I meant for everybody. I didn't okay. mean me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like last year whenever um, I was over at my um, brother and sister-in-law's for Thanksgiving and my four-year-old grandnephew saw me, uh, typically the last one at the table, are you still eating? When are you going to stop eating? And I said, when I'm finished. Okay, anyway. In the Middle East, the early and latter rain in the spring and in the fall um, were crucial to the growth of fruit. I, I imagine it's, it is. Um, and this, the Lord refers to this several times in the Old Testament, you know, promising uh, if, the, uh, if the people of Israel obey him to uh, provide the uh, former 
and latter rain so that crops can grow. In our country, which has been so blessed, we take these things for granted, don't we? Um, and, um, you know, we forget the work and the process that goes into all of this. Now, James' main point is this. Be patient in these trials. Even with the rich who are oppressing you, maybe a boss at work that isn't treating you as uh, fairly as you think that he should. All right? Be patient in all trials. Is it easy? No, of course it isn't. But it's possible with the Lord. And James says, establish your hearts. Make sure that they're steadfast and firm, focusing not on the trial, which is not easy, I know, but focusing on the Lord and his promises, which are sure. That's where scripture memorization is a tremendous help because we can focus on his promises. His promises which are more sure than anything in this world. The promises in the Psalms, the promises in the Gospel, the promises here in the Epistle, all throughout the Word of God. And James says something very interesting now. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, I, I, I'm sure it's safe to say that those living in James's day expected the Lord's return in their lifetime. And the fact that it has not happened yet is due to God's patience with the elect. All right? Those who will be saved. First Peter, uh, or, I'm sorry, Second Peter uh, 3, verse 9 says that, that the Lord uh, is patient with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, at hand to us means immediately, but it doesn't mean that, um, you know, it doesn't mean what we think it means. God's timetable is not ours, all right? A day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And aren't you glad that he was patient with you? That he didn't come at the time before you were saved. Yes, death or the Lord's coming will be soon, especially uh, for us uh, who are getting older, all right? In their distress and for the people uh, suffering in James' day, they would have been tempted to take out their frustrations on fellow believers. Isn't that an easy thing to do when we're suffering, when we're irritated, or when we're uh, in pain, to take it out on uh, a spouse or a brother or sister in the Lord. But we must not grumble against one another, James says. All right? It's an evangelical gospel warning that's here. You know, because he says, you know, lest you be condemned. Now, is James teaching here that uh, we'll lose our salvation? No. But you see these evangelical or gospel warnings all throughout Scripture to keep us on guard, not, not to take our salvation for granted or take it lightly. We see it in James, we see it in some of Paul's epistles, we see it in the book of Hebrews constantly, that those warnings are there so that we will examine ourselves 
and so that we will realize that our salvation was bought with such a cost and we want to please the Lord. Okay? Um, we're not to act like the world. The judge is standing at the door. We may not think that it's very soon. It, it, it seems like a long time, but God is standing at the door. Christ will come for us, either at death or um, at the second coming. And Jesus says in Revelation 22, I am coming soon. And we know, as Paul says in uh, Romans uh, 13, that our salvation is sooner now and closer now than it was when we first believed. Every day marches on to the day of our salvation. Okay. And then in verse 10 and 11, James says something uh, very interesting. He cites the prophets as an example of patience in the face of suffering. You know, Jeremiah. Oh my. You know, he's called the weeping prophet. All that he went through. Persecution upon persecution. You know, being locked in dungeons and people just, uh, you know, spitting in his face and just not paying attention to what he had to say and how he was weeping before God for the people of Israel. Daniel in the lion's den, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Ezekiel, and all the uh, trials that he had to go through. But James cites Job and his perseverance. You know, I mean... Who knows for how many decades Job had to endure the suffering he had to endure, let alone, um, you know, the taunting of his three friends and his wife, all right? And not that Job was perfect, you know, um, but how would we react if we had to suffer as he did without let up? Um, you know, Job, of course, cursed the day of his birth, um, and he expressed his frustration before God until God confronted him. But he never gave up his trust in God. He, he, he persevered. And that is what they and we are to do. That's the mark of a believer. He perseveres. God preserves us, but we persevere in trials, in tribulations. And we are patient. Okay? And what is the end. What was the end? What was the purpose intended by the Lord for Job? It was not only God's vindication against Satan, but also it was to demonstrate to Job that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. What happened to Job after the Lord um, was through with him, uh, with, when, when the Lord spoke to him for those four chapters? Um, he gave Job um, and re restored uh, Job's temporal possessions and gave him another family. But even if he doesn't do these things for us in this life, we have the promise of eternal life where Christ will make it all up to us <clears throat> completely by his grace. And so we look forward to that. And it's very interesting to me in verse 12 uh, that James says, above all, we are not to swear. Imagine that. He says, above all. Now, 
does he mean that uh, these other sins of uh, the the, the uh, unbelieving rich and our uh, uh, grumbling and complaining are, are uh, not not uh, not to be taken seriously? No, of course not. Um, but the third commandment, not taking the name of the Lord in vain, um, being a part of the first table of the law, when violated, is very very serious. Because not only does it uh, injure people, but it impugns the character of God himself. It is absolutely appalling how the name of the Lord is taken in vain with such impunity in our culture. On television, more and more. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, that you didn't hear that very much on television. You know, people had a general kind of respect for the name of the Lord, at least a civil respect. But now, you know, and I don't care what program you have on, and I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but, you know, even, even with commercials, the name of the Lord is taken in vain. All right? And people don't take marriage oaths and vows very seriously. Um, you know, in, again, the words of Jesus come to mind from the Sermon on the Mount. Swearing or taking a rash oath using the name of God or a substitute like you know, swearing by earth or heaven or whatever is taking the name of the Lord in vain. And we will not be held guiltless. People will not be held guiltless for that. Jesus said that every idle word is going to be brought into judgment. I just wonder, you know, how many people, you know, the other day, as a matter of fact, I was listening uh, on my uh, phone uh, to a Dean Martin tune, and apparently this was a live performance, and uh, all of a sudden he takes the name of the Lord in vain. You know, they were clapping, uh, and, oh, shut your blankety-blank mouth. I thought, oh, man. You know, people do not believe the words of the Lord in this warning here. So Jesus says, or James says, above all, do not swear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. People ought to just take our word when we say that we're going to do something or not going to do something. They should trust us implicitly. Um, you know, how seriously, for example, do people take their church membership vows? That kind of thing. So, Don, you yes, would, Denny. How would you uh, answer someone who say, "Well, then I should say yes and no, and not take any vows at all"? Well, we do have examples of uh, Paul, for example, um, the Apostle Paul uh, taking a vow. Um, he says in Romans nine, uh, you know, I am you know, telling the truth in Christ; I am not lying; uh, that I have uh, unceasing sorrow. Uh, we, we know that oaths were taken and vows were taken in the Old Testament, but they need to be taken very, very seriously and not frivolously. In the days of Jesus, they were taken frivolously. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, uh, we, we have uh, examples uh, um, of those oaths. And um, the only thing is, of course, that uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, says uh, that it's better 
you know, you'd better pay it. If, if you're going to make a vow, you'd better pay it. Better not to uh, um, make a vow at all than to make it and then not to pay it. So that's what I would say, Denny, um, in that regard. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, it's just that uh, we're called to, uh, to make vows, but take them seriously. And when, uh, you know, when, we, when we take a vow, our, our, uh, it should be yes or no. Right. Not taken uh, frivolously at all. Exactly. And, you know, but in our society, we don't take our vows seriously. No. The marriage vow, <coughs> the, uh, the church membership vow, all those things that uh, right. people don't take seriously. Yeah, exactly. Uh, praise God we have a Savior. Um, and then, of course, we have another evangelical warning um, there, you know, lest you be condemned. Again, you know, let's make sure that we take our uh, conduct um, and our sin seriously. Okay. Uh, if there are no uh, further questions or comments. I, I have one. Yes. Uh, just regarding the... Uh, Above all, right? So yes. I, I, I look at that and I think I, I can't help, especially because you brought it up, that uh, none will be held, be found guiltless. That is the only commandment that mentions that. It's yes, it is. of our Lord. So I, I, I feel like that has to be what's in James's heart and clearly goes, you know, reiterates what, what his half-brother, our Lord, says at, on the Sermon of the Mount. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, to have the emphasis of the Old Testament to have the emphasis from Christ himself and then to have again the emphasis from James yeah. like that has to be a big I think that's I look at that as that's why he says above all yeah and I think that very, very well put very well put uh, yeah uh, we, we don't take these things I mean we as Christians hopefully do take it seriously but the, the world at large does not uh, well, what, what, what could possibly be wrong with a few words, you know? And yet this is, like I said, the first table of the law, and it is the only command where God says the Lord will not hold him guiltless. You know, obviously, we're guilty of all sin, but uh, that's a warning, a very stern and severe warning. What happened to uh, a person uh, in uh, the book of uh, Numbers who blasphemed the holy name? Of God, it was a capital offense. We had to take that seriously. Okay, um, would someone like to read verses thirteen through twenty um, of James chapter five? Don, I'll read. Sure. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. 
Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the er from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. Okay. All right. A very interesting and um, I think in some uh, ways misunderstood passage in the first part of this. Um, in verses 13 through 16, James gives the prescription for those in all kinds of circumstances, particularly those um, suffering, um, literally in trouble. That, that's the, uh, the Greek there from what I understand, uh, at least from William Hendricks, and literally the word means trouble. Is, is any one of you suffering, I believe it says in the, King, in the New King James. Other translations may have different um, uh, words. Um, you know, trouble of any kind. What are we to do? What do we do often? We fret, we complain, maybe we'll, uh, uh, you know, go to someone and, uh, you know, pour out our troubles. Um, you know, James says, let him pray. All right? Now, sometimes when we're going through troubles, the last thing that we feel like doing is praying. And yet, what better thing could we do to um, come close to God? It's a command, and it should be an overwhelming comfort for us. It's like the psalmist did many times, you know, pouring their hearts out to the Lord. And how much more should we, as uh, Believers on this side of the cross uh, pray. Peter says that that is exactly what we're to do. We're to cast our cares upon God because he cares for us. We have a loving Heavenly Father. We have a sympathetic High Priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who longs to hear our prayers and um, our our. Um, our groanings. Um, it may or may not be God's will to take away the trouble, but even in the midst of trouble and trial, we can be filled with God's peace and joy. And I'm sure that all of us have experienced that to one degree or another in times of trial. Okay, what if you're happy? Let him sing psalms. Other translations say song, songs of praise. Okay? Um, it's interesting that um, William Hendrickson said that a lot of times we listen to songs uh, of praise if we're happy, but it says that we're to sing them. Um, you know, and those of you uh, who may not have good singing voices can always sing in the shower, right? Uh, but um, anyway, um, you know, yeah, that, that's the response that we're to have, to praise the Lord when we're happy to pray when we're not when we're in trouble when we're sad and suffering okay so verses 14 and 15 very interesting <clears throat> verses and um, often misunderstood um, for someone who is seriously ill the elders who represent the congregation you know and uh, of course Denny and I um, are uh, among them um, they are to be called upon. I think that I have to say, I, I don't think that we do this enough here um, and in the church in general. 
uh, a lot of times we just call for the pastor. But it says elders, plural. <coughs> and I think that uh, it, it would be a good practice for uh, uh, elders to uh, visit someone who is sick and pray. We, 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 I, I know that we've done that, um, but perhaps we don't do it as often as we should. Um, pray, it says, you know, prayer, and anointing them with oil. Now, William Hendrickson says this, and I agree with him, prayer is primary, the oil is secondary. There's not something uh, um, magical about the oil in and of itself. Um, Jesus and the disciples here, without oil, oil had and has medicinal qualities. You know, we, we think of what Jesus said about the Good Samaritan pouring oil upon the uh, victim's wounds. Um, I remember, you know, when I was growing up and had constant ear infections, and my mom would put sweet oil in my ears, and that would soothe the pain. Um, you know, uh, but prayer is the most important part of this. Um, you know, though certainly it's good to anoint the oil with oil. And we've, uh, um, in, in my time as elder, we have had requests uh, for people to pray and anoint oil. We've done so. But, um, you know, in verse 15, we have a promise, either in this life, certainly in the next, that for healing, um, sins will be forgiven. Now, we don't see this as the institution of a sacrament, as Rome does, um, but it is vitally important that we take advantage of this. All right, sin is the ultimate reason for sickness. All right, it's not always individual sin that you know, like, it, 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 but sin in general. Sin does not always correspond to illness, um, but there's still a correlation. <clears throat> there can be a correlation. David, for example, in Psalm 32 says what? And, and, and 51, you know, that uh, you know, when, I, when I did not confess my sin, uh, I languished, uh, I had a fever, um, you know, my body wasted away, my bones uh, wasted away. But when I confessed my <laughs> sin, the Lord um, relieved the guilt of my sin. And uh, at least there's the hint that there was physical healing too. All right. Jesus did warn the paralytic in uh, John 5.14, stop sinning, lest something worse happen to you. All right? In Matthew 9, Jesus forgave the uh, sins of the paralytic before healing him. And so there can be a uh, correspondence between our individual sin and uh, physical suffering, but not always. You know, the uh, blind man, Right in John nine, you know, Jesus said, "Well, it wasn't that his parents or he sinned, but that the glory of God might be manifest." Um, so, we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Again, I don't think that we do this very often in the church, and perhaps it's uh, an overreaction again to the Roman Catholic uh, practice of confessing our sins to a priest. That was not the primary issue of the Reformation. The primary issue with that, of course, was penance and works of satisfaction that you had to do. Um, however, you know, 
Uh, a lot of times we don't like to uh, uh, divulge ourselves. Uh, we don't like to, we, we want people to think the best of us. But confessing our sins to a brother, a fellow brother or sister in Christ, can be very good. It can be very therapeutic. Um, now, obviously, at the watch, I mean, we don't want to dump all of our you know, filthy laundry on someone. Um, but someone that we know, someone that we trust, it's a good thing to confess our sins to one another. Um, perhaps we should do so more often, especially in light of physical illness. And it's reassuring to know that the fervent prayer, the continuous, heartfelt prayer of a righteous person avails much. It's effective. In God's scheme of things, you know, we see it all through Scripture. When Moses prayed and averted uh, disasters for the people of Israel, um, you know, when, when um, and, and of course, uh, James is going to point this out, isn't he? In verses 17 and 18, James cites Elijah as an example of fervent prayer. Again, Elijah was not perfect. You know, he wanted to die uh, with, with all of the persecution that he was suffering from the people of Israel and Ahab. Um, but, you know, uh, he did pray and prayed for something that only God could do, you know, for rain, for the withholding of rain for Israel and then for the restoration of that rain for, you know, three years later. Hey, Don. Yes, Denny. If I could say, I really appreciate when James Fox uh, characterizes Elijah as a man with a nature like ours. Yes, <coughs> yes. A, a sinful nature. And, it, and, and going back to uh, when it says that uh, the prayer, effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Yes. I mean, that's, that speaks to our righteousness in Christ, not, not because we're righteous, but because. That's right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. imputed righteousness to us. So, yes. it's, it's incredible. Yeah, we can all pray. If we're found in Christ, we can all pray like like Elijah did. Sure. I mean, we, not, we may not be able to do um, many other things. I, I, I think of, uh, uh, I, I don't want to embarrass her, but, uh, boy, Jan, Jan Eisenbaum, what, what a prayer warrior, you know? And, you know, we may not be able to uh, do a whole lot, some of, some of you, you may not be able to teach or preach or so many, but, but even, even in the worst of circumstances, you know, even in a hospital bed or whatever, you can pray. We can pray. And God hears those prayer and uses them. <coughs> even and especially for things that are difficult and even impossible in the human realm. All right? And likewise, we can be used of the Lord in restoring an erring brother or sister. Though God is the one who uh, uh, saves us and saves souls from death and, you know, and covers our sins in the righteousness of Christ, as Denny pointed out, he has been and is pleased to use us as his instruments in that process. Whether it's uh, church discipline on the part of elders 
or you individually uh, taking someone aside and saying, uh, my friend, I, I've noticed something that you said that you maybe you shouldn't have said. Or maybe you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And if that person receives that counsel, and, um, you know, um, if, if he is uh, restored, praise God, you know. And the Lord uh, enables us to do that, that we may share in his joy. Okay, so, well, uh, we have come to the... Uh, conclusion of this uh, book of James do we have any uh, does anybody have anything uh, you know uh, to say any kinds of questions or comments about today or what we've uh, learned for uh, the past uh, couple months just a whole lot of very very good um, instruction um, in this book um, practical instruction um, and uh, so Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, now, next week, uh, we start a new quarter. Uh, Ray will continue with his uh, series uh, in Deuteronomy in the uh, Fellowship Hall. And uh, for the first uh, two weeks, uh, I believe that Dave Douglas will be um, teaching that. And then uh, next week, uh, Paul Deffenbaugh and I will uh, be uh, teaching here in room 409 uh, a uh, We'll, take, we'll continue where we left off last year with part two of um, the Gospel of John. We did verses uh, chapters 1 to 11 last year, and Lord willing, we'll do 12 to 21 uh, this time. And uh, Paul will start off next Sunday with a uh, brief review and some uh, uh, geography and all kinds of very interesting things that uh, he will uh, be uh, sharing. So... Uh, um, if there are no further questions or comments, uh, Denny, would you close us in prayer, please? Sure. <clears throat> Father, thank you that we could listen to your word as, uh, as we read it. Thank you that we can consider it. I pray that you would implant it into our hearts and our minds that in times of, of trouble, in times of happiness, in times of being convicted, that we would remember these words, uh, not just because uh, one of us would speak it, but because it's it's in your word, your true word without error. I ask that you would uh, continue to bless that word to our hearts and minds. And Father, now as we uh, gather in worship, I pray that we would uh, consider what's happening, that we would be serious-minded about the worship service that we would uh, pray and, and sing to your praise and glory and that that uh, we would um, also consider uh, uh, the gospel being preached to uh, our hearts and minds and I pray that would uh, encourage us cause us to grow and I pray that um, that you would bring others to, to a saving knowledge of yourself we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <clears throat>